Welcome to the Oxley Bond MotoGP podcast. everyone it's the oxley bomb mudgeby podcast back again with me matt oxley and my podcast partner peter bomb yep here we are again oh now i need to tell who i am no i know i think everybody knows do they i i don't i don't know i don't care anyway anyway the big thing this week obviously is that peter and i have been at sang at the tests and we're very happy because for the first time in several months we've been able to stand there and watch motorbikes going around in circles which is kind of what our lives are all about really it's a kind of um you know yeah you spend your life going around in circles and racing is going around in circles so we love it and so we're gonna you know we're gonna talk about what all the factories were up to last time we talked about what we thought they were going to be up to and this time we're going to talk about what they were up to and we're going to start off kind of at the bottom really <laughs> we're going to start off with yamaha who are working in incredibly hard i sneaked into the back of their garage during the tests which is kind of you used to be able to do that no problem years ago now you get shot if you do it but anyway i managed to get away with it i was looking for cow crutchlow and um wow i mean just you know when you see the garage on, on the tv that's probably a fifth of the space that they have available to them the rest of the garage is is enormous and i've never seen so much freight in the back of a of a of a, of a team garage i.e they had so much stuff to test there and um, so, which is good. And, you know, they're not there with the lap times yet, but P- Peter and I went out on track to watch a bit and Peter has something he wants to say about the Yamaha. What did you what, what did you think when you were watching the Yamaha go around? So we were watching Crutchlow and um, Fabio Quadraro and Alex Rins, their new guy. So we were able to sort of examine what they were up to. What did you think, Peter? Well, the most, well, two things. First of all, uh, the Aero, very conservative on the Yamaha. The, not a lot of things has changed, typically Yamaha. But the big thing that changed and that made me sad and happy at the same time. It's happy because fuck, they finally start working. It's sad because it's a bit late and that's the electronics. They are working so hard on, 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 on the electronics and the reason I could I knew, I could see that they were doing it because it was so obvious and clear. It's like stepping back 10 years in the time or maybe even more when, when people were really like quite new in the whole way of how to, how to manage traction control on big bikes and one of the things they did in the past was a lot of ignition cutting and I could hear the Yamahas doing a lot of cutting but way too much now why would you be in this in i mean in the end of the first day of the test having way too much cutting on the traction control that that for me means they are rebuilding the whole strategy almost the philosophy how they approach traction traction control and by doing that you step back in time but probably you're on a road that will lead you further than where you are now because they are not really there and that's probably also quite likely uh, one of the reasons they seem to struggle so much in speed was because they didn't get off the corner very well and you can only do so much with mechanical drive a lot of the initial drive comes down to the electronics and Yamaha's electronics as I've been told by people I cannot name here were easy to use in the pit box for the guys because the in the interface the program that sits between the real row issue um, and, and your data system was quite advanced in a way that it helps you a lot but it also means you could not do as much as you probably wanted to do just a couple of slides more track scroll more engine brake in this gear in that corner that's it and that's 
not refined enough. They did. They must have changed completely the approach to traction control because you don't hear that cutting at all. And within within one half hour, within two three exits, it was already a lot less. So we could literally see them learning something new, which is which is new in MotoGP. And so it makes me happy. They were obviously trying something. Sat in the way it's a bit late, but hey, there is at least uh, an area where they can gain a lot, and and they still need to gain a lot. Um, but yeah, that that was the thing that struck me the most. The way they approach the corners, the way they sit on the bike. Obviously, Rins is a bit new on it, but Fabio was just is just Fabio, and he looks he looks brilliantly. He looked quite confident. He seemed happy in the box always. So the atmosphere is good. Uh, a lot of laps, a lot of work. Yamaha is working very very hard. And one of the things we just like I told you, we learned is um, the issue, the traction control strategy, which is a huge huge thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we could quite easily hear it. We were stood at turn one. You know, at Sepang, you got a very sharp turn one is basically a right hand hairpin, and then it leads immediately into a, a, a slow left hander, which is really important because you're accelerating hard out there for quite a while into the long turn three. So turn one, you know, it's not that important to come out of there hugely fast because you're actually setting up for the next corner. But even there, we could hear the the, the, the Yamaha cutting the ignition, which was bizarre. I mean, the sweetest bike there was the KTM that just sounded like a road bike. It Whereas the Yamaha was that duck, 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 duck. That was a weird place to, 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 to sort of hear it cutting like that. Very strange. But yeah, I mean, without a doubt that, I mean, and, and, and Quattararo said in one of the debriefs on the first or second evening, he said, we are years and years behind which is kind of not what you want to hear. But the interesting thing about Yamaha is that not only did they have all these all this freight, they've, they've also gone very hard. They're doing what KTM have done. They're stealing people from or hiring people from Ducati because that's, that's you know, you, you've got to hire Ducati. the best brains. This is getting more and more like Formula One. You've got to get the best engineering brains. So they have hired a new, their new technical manager is Massimo Bartolini. He's been at Ducati for a million years. Very, very clever guy. He will be massively helpful, I think, in the electronics and trying to make Yamaha realize what they've got to do. He says, he's just going to be saying that this is not good enough. This is how they do it at Ducati. Do it this way. And not only they've stolen him or hired him, they've taken Ducati's chief aerodynamicist, whose name is Marco Nicotra. And, you know, that's another hugely important signing. And, and you know, these, these are the things, engineers becoming more and more important to, in, in MotoGP. You know, 20, 30 years ago, engineers hardly ever changed factories. You know, hardly ever changed. But now it's happening all the time because engineering has become Becoming more important. So, you know, and they've also got the former Ferrari engine designer, Luca Marmarini. So they really are working very hard at um, at finding, you know, the performance they need. And will they be able to do it with the inline four engine? I don't know. We've always said you can't make it and it's you can't make enough tr- enough power out of an inline four. But maybe they're getting special metals or something. You know, back in the 60s, Honda had crankshaft problems. So they went to the States to, to um, Pratt & Whitney and got special steel that they were using in the States. So, so I, I have no idea what's going on in the science of metals but there's new steels being made all the time. So may, maybe Marmarini, you know, who knows? I'm just guessing. Uh, Peter, you got something to say? Well, the the thing, <laughs> at some point I was jumping in my seat because see the top speed list on uh, from the Yamahas and that was a seriously impressive uh, speed of 338 kilometers and it was first in the top speed list. Like the be- the one top speed of the whole day was there from Yamaha. Mm-hmm. But that turned out to be having a little bit different background. Sepang, which is a bit stupid, for years already in a row have the loop which is really a mechanical loop. It's just a wire that is sort of glued into the track. Just too late. It's in the braking zone. It's only 
just in the braking area, just a couple of meters, probably five to 10 meters in the braking area. Um, yeah, so if you brake really, really late, you're going through that speed trap faster than other people. It doesn't mean you had the better top speed right before the braking point. So it almost means they are still slow because the only guy that can brake late and still make the corner is the guy who doesn't arrive there as fast. <laughs> so it's now, instead of being saying, oh, they, they finally found something, that's a seriously good top speed. Maybe it's still not a really, really good sign <laughs> at all. So yeah, so much for top speed lists. I, I, th I think in, in, in general, in, especially in testing, not, not only do the top speeds, especially at a track like that where the top speed uh, sensor is in the wrong place, the top speed figures mean nothing. Also, we get very obsessed by lap times. We all get the final official test, day three practice, combined practice times, and we all look at the lap times because we're human and that's what we do. We, look, we start at the top, Pekka Bagnaia, our fastest, then Jorge Martin, Enea Bastianini, Alex Marquez, Ducati, 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 of course. But, you know, the, the, the extreme lap times aren't all that matters. You know, the, the, the amount of combinations these people have now of aero, different aero set, engines, chassis, electronics, you know, the chance of them having all the right combinations together and the right tyres, they only had seven sets each of the best tyres for lap times and doing it at the right time of day when it's not too hot or whatever. And there's, a, it's, you know, so it's, it depends so much on what setup you've got, what time of day you do it, what what tyres you've got on. So you shouldn't read too much into it. I mean, obviously the thing with the Ducatis is it's so good and so sorted that they're not mucking about with stuff as much as the other factories are. I think that's one reason why they're ahead all the time. And and um, yeah, and I, I mean, Quattararo, he's he seemed to be kind of quite happy with his pace, but his problem is same as last year is is qualifying cannot get the lap time out in qualifying and as he said the problem in MotoGP now is if you start 11th on the grid that's where you stay in the race because it's so difficult to overtake and you know or you burn up your tires trying to overtake so you know you've got to be on the front two rows the third or fourth row is simply not good enough generally so should we move on to Honda uh, what, did you, what did you think of Honda yeah well it was you who put uh, who started with Yamaha we, we, we decided we start on the bottom so can you explain me why you put Yamaha at the bottom because it cool just have been Honda in my book, uh, Matt. Well, simply because I, I, I'm doing I, I'm doing exactly what I said you shouldn't do. Quattararo was 11th fastest and Juan Mir on the Honda was 10th. So that's why, that's why I started with the Yamahas first. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, right. like right. I say, right. we're just we're just trying <laughs> to make right. it easy for ourselves by by going in some order, upside down, right way up, whatever. So Honda, what do you, what do you reckon? Bike basically, you know, the, the bike they had at Valencia Test was a massive step forward. And obviously what, what they had at Sepang, they're continuing down that road. But what did you think of the way that bike was working? Oh, the way, first I need to say the way the bike looked. It's so nice. Finally, uh, again, Honda. Honda built a 2024. It's like a prototype, so they shouldn't necessarily need to bother too much with very small details because it will change its shape every half an hour but it's so well built this is the build quality that that honda was famous for and uh for example one year ago like half year one year ago when you look at the, one of the many many things that yama that honda sometimes put on the bike and another the swing arm usually was okay it came from Kalex, but it, they got messy they got sloppy well this bike was anything but sloppy it was beautiful to watch it it just didn't work yet didn't function yet but it's already i mean <laughs> a fast bike is already 
I mean, a good-looking bike is always a little bit fast. So it looked really, really good, well-built. Um, having Alex Baumgartner from Kalex there in the pit lane, uh, in the box of, of Honda was a big thing, was, was for me also like a big thing. So he told me that he's there on a consultancy base working for Honda. So the proud HRC stepped over their own shadow. And not only just having Kalex made their swing arm and made the sashi to Honda spec, now they hire really his brain. So he comes there with the HRC shirt on, like I said, on the consultancy basis. So a certain amount of events. I didn't ask him how many, but sure, they are, they are now hiring his brain. And being as humble and polite as Alex is, he told me, this was such a huge opportunity for me to learn more about MotoGP. I couldn't say no. And I'm like, well, somebody else maybe needed this more than you here. But anyway, shoot you. So the Honda very well built. Uh, lots of lots of engineers, apart from Alex as well in the box. <sighs> but the same old shit. No rear grip. And not even with a new tire. So the new tire rear grip seems to be so-so. Something is happening. But as soon as the tire drop, they are in trouble. And that's not new. That's the story of Honda for years. And quite disappointing. Because in Valencia, we got the idea that they build a more neutral bike, more weight over the rear. So maybe lose a little bit of the handling from the front. But at least we have some rear grip. No, no, not at all. Then looking at, at some of the riders on the Honda, Luca Marini um, looked on track. Okay, I've not been every day for hours on the track, but I've, every day every day I was on track. <laughs> Maybe I was for hours on the track every day, thinking about it. Luca Marini was still riding like he was on a Ducat. It's you're supposed to do in only one way on, and in one way only means you don't move too much. And the bike don't change. The, it's everything but nimble. Ducatis are not nimble. You're, you're on a boat, you decide to go left, you ask to go left, and at some point it goes left, you know? And if you overdo it, like Mark, but we get there later, and Marini was still riding the bike it, like it was on, so it didn't work. And then Zarco, he was really happy. He looked to me actually really, really fast until I saw the lap times itself. So the corners, I would still like to say, the corners I watched him, he was probably really fast, but that's just, you know, a couple of corners. He could put the bike where he wants it. He, it was very nimble. He could nearly miss the apex, but still bring it back, you know, having a little bit of a moment on the exit, but still bring it back to the curb to be in time for the... So he looked like having fun. It was a nimble bike. It was an old school proper race bike, but it was still slow. <laughs> so, but he is positive that he will find his way. So lots of things going on at Honda. Like I said, beautiful build quality, but here the same type of problem with maybe cool also because you can only do so much with mechanical grip. Maybe they are in the same situation, the black hole where Yamaha is trying to get out, having like a different, a wrong philosophy inside your issue. You, you start to build a TC and you have some ground stones that you lay on and from there on you put them on. And if you choose the wrong ground stones, whatever you do, it doesn't really will start to work. And I'm not sure if they hired, if they also <laughs> went to the Gatti and bought some people. Sorry, you said gra- ground stone? You're getting technical. I don't understand. <laughs> well, that, that's a that's a shitty translation. I just tried to say some of the foundation. You build a foundation, you you put stones here and stones there, and everything's built up itself. Oh, foundations. Okay, got you, got you. Right, okay. No, no, thanks for asking, <laughs> because, yeah, so that that's basically it, in a, in a way, what I saw from Honda. I was expecting more, because it looks beautiful, and I like beautiful bikes to be fast. It looks nimble, which is old school, which I love to see, only the Yamaha and the Honda are still able to ride there, but they are the Yamaha and the Honda, and they're not on top of the list for, for a couple of reasons. Yeah, I mean, Zarco said that he, well, he would, because he's obviously paid by Honda, but but no, I mean, he's, he seemed to genuinely mean it. He said he f- he prefers the Honda because he could feels like he can do more with it. As you say, with the Ducati, basically, it's designed by the engineers to, to be ridden in such a way, and that's what you have to do. So Zarco was really enjoying the Honda because he felt like he could change the way the bike worked with his own, you know. So I, I think, you know, although, although he wasn't super fast, I think he was, he ended up 17th, one point, 
two seconds off the pace. But again, don't read too much in the lap, into the lap times. You don't know, was that a time attack? Did he have the right tyres on? Blah, blah, blah. What did Mir say? Mir sort of said that, that he's the Honda have improved more than the others. You know, they've, they've closed the gap slightly. So there's, you know, he, he was happy about that. Yeah, but, that's, but, he, <laughs> but you come from far, you yeah, can do that. You no, know, exactly. They, well, they would struggle to do any worse. And he, li- he, likes, he likes the engine. He says he's got better feel from the engine. But like you said, they, they were both talking about still having to make up the time into the corner, which is a bit disappointing, really. We would have thought, you know, how, how, how many weeks to the first race? Not very long. See what we... Two weeks, about two weeks from now, they're, they're at Qatar doing the, uh, the the final preseason test. So we'll get we'll, we'll get to see how they do there. But when when they go to Qatar for the pre- final preseason test, generally they're not so much testing stuff. They're more trying to get ready for the first race. You know, it's, it's like kind of the first practice sessions for the Qatar Grand Prix, if you like. You know, uh, which brings us on to who was next? KTM. So KTM. Brad Binder was seventh. Someone, some rookie called Pe- Pedro Acosta was caught ninth. A Miller was 14th um i mean wow let's let's start off because you know i guess the most exciting thing about ktm right now is is uh acosta on a gas gas but he's on an r6 r16 that's all that matters wow i mean i, I love the guy he's so cool to talk to and you, you know he's got that something special when you speak to riders you know like rossi or marquez you know they're, they're not just special on the racetrack they're special when you talk to them. their attitude their ability to communicate the speed at which their brain works all those things the, the you know the, the the slight sort of swagger you know I mean he's got all of that Acosta he speaks very good English and he doesn't give a fuck what he says he says what he thinks yeah I love the guy and wow he you know so where where was he he was ninth fastest 0.68 off off the top you know after I mean let's forget about Valencia because it's hardly a proper test it, after five days on the bike wow yeah you like him also because he loves road yeah racing. he like he, he has a huge interest into into road racing so that's unbelievable for a 19 year old Spanish kid growing up racing all these small bikes on, on these tracks they don't have proper road racing in Spain yeah. but he loves he wants to go over to man I heard to the TT when you talk about road racing you're talking about real road racing not this pretend stuff around little racetracks <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Race. yeah no he's he's he's, real road he's quite a he's quite yeah, obsessed a real man, man which like you say for a 19 year old even a British 19 year old that would be weird but for a Spanish 19 year old that is really unusual I mean the, the Spanish don't actually allow you to race at the island you, you cannot go to the Spanish Federation and, and say I want an international license to go and race at the Isle of Man they, they, they won't let you because obviously they lost Santi Herrero at the Isle of Man and various other riders and, and that poor guy who was killed his name I'm ashamed to say I've forgotten last year I think he raced on a Mexican license so if you're Spanish and you want to go to the Isle of Man you, you, you go somewhere else to get a license because they do, they don't want their riders riding there because it's it's very very dangerous but um, yeah so very strange that he has an interest in the Isle of Man but I mean wow and he looks so good on the bike and so natural and so yeah I, I, it'll be interesting to see how, how he goes and, and also you know when Marquez came to MotoGP in 2013 the bikes were still kind of motorbikes you know you get off a motor two bike onto it was still a motorbike these things now they're kind of you know they're weird aero devices they've got so much to learn and and you've got to ride them in an unnatural way to get the best out of them so so to adapt the way he has is just phenomenal i mean he's got great people around him he's got paul trevathan as his crew chief who to me is the modern kind of jeremy burgess incredibly pragmatic doesn't get excited about anything knows how to you know deal with the rider psychologically 
psychologically, which is so important as a crew chief. So I, I, I don't think you could have any. It's a bit like Rossi having Jeremy Burgess, Acosta having Paul Trevathan, I think. Peter? Yeah, he said he said a couple of things that really blew my mind, blew me away, because that you're not supposed to speak like that when you're 19 years old and, and just had a first couple of days on a hugely complicated MotoGP bike on a track that you visit only the third time in your life. You just just shouldn't not be, should not be allowed to, to say these things. So it shows how really, really clever and intelligent he is. For example, he said, I learned here that that was on the end of the first day. It was actually not his first day. He had a two-day test before. He said, that the weird thing is, I said, if I try to get faster, it's easy to go slower because you put more, you put more stress at the wrong places in the bike, and then it just gets very nervous. You get tired, uh, your neck muscles get tired, you get arm pump, and you just don't go anywhere. And then he said, "Listen, this is a 19-year-old kid telling us <laughs> sometimes you have to think with your head instead of with your heart just to go faster." I mean, yeah. understanding that already from a MotoGP bike is mind-blowing. That's and the way he sits on the bike. Look at the picture. Almost every picture you see where he's completely in control wrestling the bike in a in a fun combination of Lorenzo because moving very quickly shifts with his upper body and Marquez the way he moves he, he can bend his ankles and his knees coming out of corners to be really sure to have the four contact point of the bikes that really matter immediately in his control that's just very very impressive that's that's yeah very impressive it's, it's also about your wrists if you if you look at photos of, of, of riders when they're deep into a corner you know about to get on the throttle you know they're so far over they've got their elbow on the ground they have to have their wrists are in really weird positions really weird positions if you look at them i mean you're not just you know we know we all ride motorbikes you ride along you know you take a detailed look at how the position their their wrists are in and everything there's nothing natural about the way they have to ride these bikes and and it's very complicated and although we keep saying that lap times don't matter they do if you're a rider on the same you know trying to be faster than your teammate and i know acosta and binder aren't teammates but they kind of are because they're both on r16 r16s and if so if you're brad binder you you want to make sure that you are faster than Acosta. You really do. You don't want to end that first test with the rookie faster than you. And, and looking at the times, Binder's fastest lap was 57.307. Yeah, Binder is up there. P7. Acosta was 57.365. So he was like 0.0 five faster than Acosta. I mean, it's just astonishing. So so that it's, yeah, a huge amount of excitement. But let, let's not get too worried let's, about him. Let's, let's not put on too much pressure. Remember that running a race on these things is very difficult, different to running one fast lap. But, you know, he, he learns so quickly. You know, he's not one of these people who will try to run before he can walk and, and end up crashing. I think he knows exactly how to approach the whole thing. And, and, and KTM are very aware of what they've got and, and they, they don't want to put too much pressure on him they, they, they don't want him to get, get hurt they want him to just progress he doesn't you know he just needs to learn this year yeah I mean I mean and and, and obviously Binder had seen his uh, seen his um, his data and, and what he said about him was he said when you see his data Pedro brakes incredibly smooth and clean and he stops the bike well he's super clean with his rider with his riding and he's fast so I mean you know basically that, that means he's fast and in control and doing it all naturally and that that is massively impressive Jack Miller not up there you know had a tough last season last year he really needs to kind of get up there this year but he revealed to us at Sapang that he broke his right scaphoid in December doing motocross now you may or may not know uh, scaphoid is a tiny little bone in your um, in your wrist and if you break it it's a real problem because it gets very little blood supply so it can take forever to 
fixed. So most riders, if they break the, um, the, 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 the scaphoid, they immediately go and get it screwed. It's too small to pin, so they get, get a little screw put in it, and, and that sorts it out. He decided to let it heal naturally, and, and I was like, oh, really? Okay. And he said he had it strapped for the tests, and he said it was all right. But I mean, I, I broke my scaphoid, uh, I think at Le Mans, and 20 years later, it was still hurting. <laughs> I didn't have it pinned or screwed. Um, but literally 20 years later, it was still hurting. And even now, sometimes if I have to open a, uh, you know, a new j- jar of jam or whatever, it, it still, I still wince. So, you know, I really, 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 really hope that he's not in trouble with that because um, we all like Jack Miller. He did 60 laps on the last day. I think he's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, he's cool. I hope so. I, I hope so. Which brings us on to... 60 laps on Safari something. Oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, Crutchlow did six da- six days at um, at Sepang, and uh, very rarely goes on Instagram Crutchlow because he doesn't like all that bullshit. And he put a picture, you know, done testing six days, done testing, and and um, Danilo Petrucci replied to him, "It is impossible to do six days of riding at Sepang, <laughs> you know, because it is, oof, I mean, so bloody hot there." Which brings us on to Aprilia, and let's start um, with the number one problem last year was cooking their riders. So much so that in Thailand, Maverick Vinal is stopped. I mean, you've got to think that these guys, how much heat, uh, I'm not a mathematician, so you could work out how much heat a MotoGP bike produces. And basically, the riders are sitting on top of the fucking engine. Well, they're, they're actually draped around the engine. So so this is becoming a huge thing. They run the bikes very hot, which Peter can explain us why in a minute. They run the bikes incredibly hot, hotter than a road bike. And so um, I think it was you telling me about that. Yeah, I'm yeah, not sure. And at think- Sepang, it's incredibly hot. So what they... What they did at, at uh, during the test, they got all three Aprilias, uh, all three surviving Aprilias, because Raul Fernandez was hurt. Um, all of those got Miguel Oliveira, Alicia Spargo, and Maverick Vinales to ride around together, kind of racing each other. A, a to see how they can deal with the heat, and and B to see how the aero from other bikes is affecting them, which is becoming a huge thing in in MotoGP now. So uh, just. I'm sure it was you that told me about the temperature they run the bikes at, was it? I, yeah, maybe. We talked a little bit about the temperatures. I think if it was me you're referring to, then it was me explaining that um, these modern MotoGP bikes, they they create so much, they have to dissipate so much heat. They need huge radiators, which are actually increase the, the frontal area of the bike too much. So what they do is have a smaller area, try to make it as effective as possible, uh, and run a lot higher pressure inside the cooling system. They run a higher pressure, they run a higher temperature, but they designed the whole engine to be run on a higher temperature. Now, Aprilia's problem about the, the, the riders getting cooked last year was already for me like a shocker. But I was shocked again hearing Romano Albesciano, I think, explain us that they didn't really work on that so much now. They want to do that with the second order, with the second update from the arrow later in the season because last part of the season is when we get to the hot countries but you have to be so ca- I was shocked for that because I think you cannot just decide okay now we have a we have the bike at this and this level okay now we need to change it just to get some to get rid of some heat I mean everything is interconnected I think even that the fact they are cooking themselves it comes from aerodynamics so if you later want to discook yourself maybe you have to change your arrows again think about uh, the ground effect arrows that we see on the on the on the Aprilia the huge 
plate that is nearly parallel, nearly flat with the tarmac on, on high banking angles that gives them so much exact vertical force on the bike that it's glued to the track in the right circumstances. But this means that this whole plate is closed. So they have less openings for getting rid of the heat. When you make a ground effect adding like that, you make the bike first wider. And secondly, you have to find some way to exit the hot temperatures more or less on the side of the frame, where normally it's only a couple of centimeters. They have a wide strip between the sachet and the outside of the fairing. And that strip has all the openings <laughs> from the engine temperatures. So yeah, you burn your legs, at least your legs uh, with, with this type of fairing. So I'm a little bit surprised they just really, or they told us that they didn't look into it that much. Uh, from Aprilia said that was that was interesting anyway they are crazy good with um, or really very inventive adventurous even with the way when it comes to Arrow because we saw also something interesting and I'm, I'm, I think Everybody who's listening to this pop has seen the pictures of the whole wreck on top of, I think it was Miguel Oliveira's bike. The, um, the, the, Pete, the Pito wreck, yeah. Yeah. That, or great or whatever. You basically like a, yeah. And the function is, the function, I just want to explain shortly. The function is interesting. It is what they do with it. They have like over 30 little temperature sensors or inlet for temperature sensors on a whole rack on the back of the bike. Pressure sensors, surely. Pressure sensors, sorry, I have pressure. So you create a model of how much and where is the pressure on that part of the bike where you where you hold it in and they do that not because they think the whole rack will make them faster fortunately not because it's really really ugly they do it to validate their computational fluid design program so they have their wind tunnel in the computer like everybody else but like many things with computers you put shit in you get shit out so you need to validate your numbers that you put in a lot of assumptions in there and validating them every now and then is a, is, is a completely logic process riders hate it you lose time but you need to do it because on the long run this is this is what makes the whole cfd calculations a, a lot more accurate think of it it's actually a bit of a surprise we don't see it more often on, on other bikes yeah I'm, I'm sure we will i'm sure we will soon um because yeah it's so important i mean i mean in, impressed with alicia spargo fifth fastest he's only guy within on not on a ducati within half a second of um pega bagnaya so you know he's, he's not he's not young Espargo, but my God, he fucking tries. You know, he's a trier. You know, he's, 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 I think he's still as hungry as he ever was. Um, but he's, he's, he's a bit up and down, but I'd, I'd, you know. And as brave. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, very, very brave. Um, El Beziano told us that they have more than 20 possible combinations of aero to try at Sepang, which is just crazy. You've got three days, you've got to try everything else, you've got loads of other stuff. And, and this is why kind of, you know, computer simulations are becoming more and more important because, you know, with, with some computer simulations, you can try 10 different things on a bike all at the same time and still get data from each of them. Whereas you can't do that with a rider. You can't put 10 different things on a bike at once and say, right, go out there and come come back and tell us what each of those things does. You just can't do that. So, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why computers are just becoming more and more uh, more and more important. Peter? Yeah, well, um, Alice was up there, Maverick not, which is the other way around. Usually at a test, especially in the last day of the past, Maverick is fully up there. I mean, he's multiple world champion in testing. He was not, and I had a look over all his laps, which, which is a lot. Every, all the riders, all the laps every day. Something went more or less wrong because it's not logic. Actually, his sprint race simulation was really fast. After the first three or four Ducatis, he's the best guy on the, on the, on the sprint race. Now, that makes me sure that he, he looked confused a little bit, but then... <laughs> 
when it's about complicated things, Maverick is easily confused. And he had to do a lot of complicated combinations of arrows and swing arms and stuff to try. Um, but if you do that on the last day, if you do a sprint simulation with that lap time, uh, you can be slightly confident in the plane back home. No worries there for a play. It's a typical thing with Aprilia. I love the bike, but there's always something. And all every week again, we say there's so much potential in the bike, but it's not often enough that this potential comes through the surface. And leaving the test there, I was again thinking, yeah, like always, we see a lot of potential. Okay, it was just a test. But yeah, I was expecting both riders a little bit more up to the front also regularly with their lap time. So Qatar needs to be needs to be a step. Like you said, in Qatar, they will they will narrow down the, the amount of parts that they want to test. A lot of things are brilliant ideas, but not working yet, maybe in three years. So they filter out all the stuff and they will narrow down the things in, 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 in Qatar and then they need to be there. And then for sure, Maverick will be there in the time attack because that's, that's his specialism. So no worries for Maverick. And, but I'm, I'm curious if Aprilia can speed up the whole thing of being more consistent over the over the season, sometimes even in, in the weekend. They can't do that for many more times. The bike is, is too good for that. Sure. I, I mean, one thing with Aprilia, I mean, the, the bike is fantastic, but I, I do sometimes wonder, I, none of us know for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that they spend less than any of the other factories. Um, you know, Ducati spend a lot of VW's money, no doubt about that. KTM spend a lot of Red Bull's money. Um, Honda spend a lot of Honda's money. Yamaha spend a lot of money. I, I think Aprilia probably spend less than anybody else. You know, they, they spend a lot, Pianos? but they, they, I don't think they spend as yeah. much. Their team is not as big. Uh, we, we should just mention the seat, the bat seat, the Batman seat that obviously everybody's talking about a lot. The idea of that is to what they want to do. The, the big problem that Espargaro goes on about all the time is stopping the bike, getting it stopped in as short a distance as possible. Um, that's a huge part of performance, um, reducing the stopping zone so you can increase your throttle on moment and, and, and still arrive at the corner at the correct speed. So that the new seat, which I kind of quite like, uh, is meant to uh, increase downforce. But also the underside is basically, if you look at it, well, photos on Twitter, you can have a look at it. It's kind of, it's like a diffuser. So, And, and Peter is now going to explain <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, what that diffuser does. Because <laughs> obviously most of the diffusers are like the diffusers on the bottom of the Ducati fairing that, that basically accelerate the air to create low pressure area, which then sucks the bike into the ground. But the diffuser under the rear seat of the of the uh, Aprilia does a very different job. So explain that no, to us. Thank please. you for putting me here on the spot. Now, suddenly I'm, I'm an aerodynamic expert. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. nothing can go wrong here. <laughs> I was 60 when I left school. Thank you there. But anyway, I, ha I have some, <laughs> of course, I have opinions and, and, and ideas. What it looks to me like is that they are, uh, obviously it's a diffuser and probably it's effective, although it's not <laughs> really close to the ground, probably helped by the fact that the um, rear cylinder bank exhaust, like the end of the exhaust, point is exactly under it it sits on the side but it's points exactly to where the windstream should be there so by accelerating hot air underneath it you, you can probably still create some downforce over the over the engine exhaust system in, at that moment and th that's all i can think of that they're doing there the other thing is probably that they found a way to because the, the lower part of the fairing of the aprilia goes a long way forward to the front wheel a lot more than on other bikes they have like an air entrance on the lower part where the normally the lowest point of your radiator sits maybe they guide air from there to extract it in in what is almost an under pressure area in front of the rear wheel 
deal. Something like that they're also probably doing, but Arrow is so hugely complicated. It's so hugely complicated and I was <laughs> not in school long enough to know. And it's also because they're searching for a lot of different things. You know, many things are wings. We call everything Arrow, but it can have a fully completely, uh, completely different uh, purpose. You know, it starts from, from the old days when it was just reducing air drag because they get more top speed. The more top speed is, is more podiums. It's not longer like that completely. Now we're also look. We still look for uh, uh, reducing the drag because we go crazy speeds and air resistance goes up uh, with the how do you say with the root square or something from the exponentially exponentially. So that that's a big big thing. At the same time, you want to give some stability. Well, we gave a lot of stability lately with uh, <laughs> with the Arrow One Modern MotoGP bike so much so that it's almost boring to watch them. So much stability they have, but the riders love it. Well, not all of them. Alice, when asked, was easy. It was very quickly saying, yeah, yeah, they are very very heavy to change direction because of the stability so they are they are they want to have higher contact pressure between the tires and the tarmac they want stability they want less drag and for all that they have all sorts of different wings even the rider on top of it is an active part of the whole thing by shifting your body enough in the middle of the corner you do something that the aerodynamic guys really wanted you to do by disturbing the airflow on the inside and then creating a better result from having the windstream only in the outside and so on and so on so don't put me too much on the spot for what they're doing Um, but it's very interesting to see very very interesting this one really triggered a lot of people what we saw at Aprilia. Yeah, yeah. And we should end uh, Aprilia by talking about Trackhouse, um, the American NASCAR team that now owns the former RNF team, the former Patronus team. (laughs) Um... By the way, we saw uh, Razlan, who owned RNF at Sepang. Obviously, he lives in KL around there, and he is trying to get back into the paddock somehow. Maybe murder two, something like that. Not sure. So uh, Oliveira ended up down in 18th. I mean, again, they're testing stuff. They're testing stuff. Some guys don't even end up doing time attacks. That you know, some people don't bother. Some people they run out of time. They've got stuff to test. You know, time attack doesn't really matter. You don't get. There's no points for testing. You don't get any world championship points for being fastest in testing. But the, the the big thing about Trackhouse at Sepang, of course, was that they lost um, Ralph Fernandez, who crashed, believe it or not, on his fourth lap on the first day. I mean, going pretty fast, I think. I'm not really sure what happened exactly, but uh, I do know that the bike caught fire and he hurt his hip, his pelvis, so he wasn't able to carry on. So straight away, um, that was so that was quite an introduction for Trackhouse and I think probably proves to them that um, motorbikes hurt quite a lot more than NASCAR cars. So yeah, I uh, hope he's well and hope he's ready for the first race. Which brings us to... Ducati, who basically the top four bikes were Ducati, uh, five of the top six bikes were Ducati, and there were six, du- seven Ducatis, no, six Ducatis in the top eight. I mean, for fuck's sake, you know, I mean, basically it's um, it's 2023 all over again, basically. And and the thing about Ducati, they've won the last four constructor championship, the last two riders championships because they've got the best bike and they've got lots of them. They've got great riders um, and, and they probably throw more money at MotoGP than anybody else. M- maybe Honda will be catching them up because they're kind of woken up. Somebody told me that there were 80 HRC en- employees at, at uh, Sepang. 
going. There were a lot of Honda guys around, many more Japanese than you normally see, which is good to see. But Ducati, how the hell do you catch up Ducati? I mean, they're so, the bikes are good. They've got so many good riders. They've got so many bikes. They've got, they spend so much of VW's money because it's, I don't think it's their own money they're spending. They don't sell that and enough bikes for that. I think they're spending a lot of VW money. You know, MotoGP, MotoGP to somebody like VW is just like small change, basically. I mean, I mean, I heard that um, the D, in the DTM, you know, the, the, the Dutch touring car championship, German, yeah, sort of factory, um, the, the German touring car championship. There's, uh, I think, a, a sort of normal sort of factory team budget there is like 80 million euros. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you, you could run a good MotoGP team for 80 million euros. You know, that's racing bloody street cars around tracks in Germany, nowhere else, as opposed to racing prototype MotoGP bikes all over the world. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I'm pretty sure that VW is spending money on it anyway. So uh, you got Bagnaia fastest, Jorge Martin second fastest, Enea Bastianini third fastest, Alex Marquez fourth fastest, Mark Marquez sixth fastest, and Fabio Di Antonio and his first time out eighth, and Marco Bezzecchi way down in fifteenth, which we will get to. So um, let's start off with Pecco Bagnaia. He kind of he was sort of did a normal Pecco thing. He was sort of cru- sort of steadily building up speed, and then boom, on the last day goes. I think like the the, the amazing thing, just quickly, all twenty three riders, including test riders Piero Salvadori and Cal Crutchlow, were inside the lap record, which is insane. Which tells you that a the bikes are faster, and b the track was in good condition. But um, your thoughts on Pekka Bagnaya? Peter? Well, I start with the track because I don't. I really don't don't like all the people saying about the un- unbelievable lap times. I've never been so fast because someone's faster than last year. That's all fully yeah. bullcrap. Okay, it is true, but it doesn't should make you that much no, happier. It's the track. The track was just in fabulous yeah. condition. Yeah. You know, just just before last year's race, the resurfaced it, and the first race on the resurface track was obviously crap. A lot of action is happening between beautiful conditions. If everybody is suddenly happy, you have to look at either the tires or the track. There is no so much coincidence that everybody found exactly half a second over the winter that's not going to happen so beautiful conditions so let's stop about the the comparison with last year's and with qualifying whatever all that matters is how much faster or slower than the other guys you are at the same day on the same track and okay matt i'll do i do i do like this with ducati i don't answer your your peco thing i read a couple of my notes for you and our listeners and then you decide which one you want me to explain a little bit more or i said ducati was scary well prepared and all around fast they confirmed to be still the benchmark and no one seems close yet interesting that the biggest plus of the new engine that both factory riders told us was not felt during acceleration or top speed or engine pickup no it was felt during the braking phases which is very interesting both guys were said i love the new engine because I can brake better. Okay, then I don't need to say a lot. Of, uh, well, the thing about the arrow, they tried a, a funny combination of their usual downwards thing with a smaller ground effect uh, thing like Aprilia. And I think that's a very clever way because the ground effect thing from Aprilia can be beautiful when you're in asset, coming back to the last chicane and a long left-hander, you make up all the time. But every other corner where it's not like that or where there is a bump, it can be scary. So they are they, are, they learn something there and make their own uh, variation on it. The other thing with the Dukes is, like I said, scary well prepared. They're fast in the one lap, but you see the sprint race uh, simulations that it, it's unbelievable. They're, they're just fully there. It's come so easy with all the Ducatis, which is so impressive. Except Mark Marquez. He still struggles to change his riding style on the Ducati as can be expected from a rider coming from a Honda to the Ducati. And he's not very young anymore. So his ult- his, his uh, lap time attack was slow. His sprint race was nothing. was way too slow. So that's also, that's 
quite worrying. He, he was very clear and open about it. Mark explaining us that Valencia was exceptional because he loves Valencia and everybody else just want to go back home and forget about the season in Valencia. So and he not. He was there to do something. So he said, but here is the reality. This is a difficult track. We go right way. We, we, it's difficult for me. And I struggle here with the things I expected to struggle. And we are all just curious how much time it will take Mark to ride the bike as you need to ride the Ducati, which is, comes very unnatural. Un, it's an unnormal thing to do for everybody. But the younger you are, the easier you pick it up. Look at Pedro Acosta. He rides an aero bike. It's not a Ducati, but it's still a hugely aero bike. He immediately finds the buttons and know how to how to adjust to the bike and starts to tell us how you need to ride the bike. <laughs> but Mark, on over 30 years, struggles. We've seen pictures of him with the rear wheel completely in the air, which is the last thing you want to do. I mean, Gigi will foam it when he sees it. This is not what you're supposed to do. Don't try to be fast in that way on a Ducati. And Mark is learning that. It will be interesting to see if and when he will pick it up. And the other thing is, they with so many bikes and the test rider Piro, we've seen so many variations of aero, exhaust, short exhaust pipe with another, uh, with another exit position they have. Piro was seen again with both wheels, very, very special wheels that has lots of sensors inside the wheel itself. They have the usual super set of sensors on the back of the swing arm that will probably measure the distortion in the swing arm itself so they are on top of the game and it's scary to see they are scarily fast it comes so easy all of them except Marco Bezzecchi which maybe you have an opinion about Matt yeah I, I mean obviously Marco Bezzecchi was fantastic last year you know, it was his second season, I think, really. So, so he won three races, two, three races. Had had was a bit up and down, but wow, you know, you thought this guy's got so much natural talent, he's going to be there. But he, you know, he's quite a he's compared to Pekka Bagnaya, who's a real, you know, he is GG, he's Gigi Delinia's rider, isn't he? He just does exactly. Engineer says do this, Bagnaya does that. You know, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's obviously very brave, very fast, but he he knows how to ride the bike the way the engineers want to. Someone like um, his teammate Ennio Bastianini and also Pozzecchi, they're a little bit more wild. They're a little bit more wild, I would say, the way they ride the bike, and I I, I, I kind of love that, you know. And but you think about Ennio Bastianini, he really struggles last year not just because of the injuries but because what we were just talking about the engine braking of the bike it did not suit suit his style who know you know he wouldn't say exactly why so that's you know is it is it engine compression is it engine braking setup is it a combination of everything yes it probably is but he could not get the bike stopped the way he could get the gp21 stopped in 2022 when he won what three races and was briefly challenging for the title and what bike has marco bezecchi got now he's got a gp23 the same bike that bastianini struggled with last year so and and he did talk about having problems getting the bike stopped into corners. So I wonder whether that Bezecchi's in that same position that Bastianini was in last year. But you know they did actually sort that out for Bastianini at the end of last year, didn't they? Which which suggests that it's not an engine internals thing. That it's actually can all be done with the engine braking software or whatever somehow. So hopefully they'll get Bezecchi because we need Bezecchi up there because he's a great guy. He's very funny. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. And, and and just going a little bit more about Mark Marquez, just exactly what you were saying. He was like, you know, with the Honda, so he spent 11 years on the Honda. And during that time, it was never the best bike. It was never the best bike. He made up all his time charging into corners, losing the front, saving it on his knee, doing stuff that no one else could do. That's how he won all those championships. Now he's on a bike that's completely different. It's all about the rear. It's all about just getting into the corner and getting the bike set up so that you can unleash that. I mean, what horsepower they're on now, I have no idea. Yeah, but they're over 300. It's all about getting the bike stopped, getting it stood up and getting it down the next straight. So he's, he's got a lot to learn. He's got to unlearn 11 years of habits with the Honda. So 
you know, but I mean, Jorge Martin said on the last day, he'll be fast at Qatar and he'll probably be up there fighting for the win. And and we all know what Mark is like. You know, when the race starts, <laughs> you know, you, you never want to, you know, if he's on a oh, half yeah. decent bike and, he, you know, he wasn't for the last couple, two, three years, he was on a on a bad bike. If he's on a half decent bike, which he is, he'll probably be up there. I, I did have a very brief chat with Gigi Delinia and one of the big questions is, I said, will Mark have the, have the updated whole shot device that um, Banaya and Bastianini had at the end of last and and Martin had at the end of last year and he said no and I said why not and he said because they had quite a few problems with that and also another thing is that those that those these latest starting devices are so complicated so delicate demanding such incredibly tight tolerances and so on on all the on all the kind of systems and so on that a, a, that an independent team does not have enough staff to run the latest uh, whole shot devices which is kind of fucking ridiculous isn't it really <laughs> you know you've got to fight hire five people just to look after the bloody whole shot device i mean what the hell so so you know that that could be very crucial this year and it could end up with quite a lot of fighting at ducati if people are i want that start device i want you know so yeah i mean i i think he'll be up there i i I have no idea whether he'll win but i think he will be up there in that battle and 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 there will be a bunch of ducatis and binder maybe and alish maybe and maybe acosta i mean you get good races at, at um at qatar as long as you can make your tyres last because tyre tire life there is quite since they resurfaced it for Formula 1 tyre life there is quite a, quite an issue as we saw last year at the, at the, at the race Qatar is always a tyre uh, conservation race but uh, I want to go back to Mark because it was weird to see he lost more more or less the whole first day of testing I think I've seen him two, three maybe four times coming back in the paddock yeah, yeah he said four times on the back yeah, of a van or pushed said, by yeah. somebody's school but everything went wrong that could go wrong it really makes you wonder whoa who, who are his mechanics and crew did they ever seen a motorbike before he didn't lose the confidence he was just sure i was just really really unlucky and if it was and if all my unlucky was today then it's cool because it's going to be a long heavy season um being in mark's situation every lap counts so he didn't crash by himself i think he had a little get off because of, of of something mechanical mark didn't crash by himself that's something special means he's holding back learning the thing learning the thing learning the thing yeah i was a bit disappointed to see his sprint race lap times were also not there uh, i can understand that the one lap you cannot do but you sh- ah, i was expecting him to be more consistent and, and on the pace with the sprinter also not so he is just not yet there but mark okay you he all know he'll remind us all the time that sepang was never his track so that's already half of an excuse and qatar is one of his tracks he, he will be fine there but it's interesting to see and i say it again these ducatis needs to be ridden so differently and i don't take a like you i don't take away anything from Peko I just have a, I even have a huge respect for him but from a complete other point of view because he's not like like an artist on the bike he just understands what they mean to say to him and he just does that which is as simple as it sounds it's really weird to do for a rider it's against everything you learned in whole your, in your whole life of racing because when they jump when they throw a leg the first time over a MotoGP bike they already have a long career behind them you know starting at five six years yeah. so th- I have a lot of respect for that it's not the bike action that you and me would like to see the most on the bike like the way the Yamaha and the Honda move over the bike for me is still the, the beautiful most beautiful thing to see but I admire what Ducati have done and I admire Peko but I also remember that Peko came in this very same Sepang in Pramac in 2019 leaving um, smiling all the way back to Bologna because he was like third fastest and did nothing the rest of the season because he learned
learned nothing. You just did one good lap, put it together with a soft tire. And he was also keen to remind us about that himself. He reminded very well. So it's a testimony to his adaption. But I like to see bits bikes a bit more moving, if yeah, possible, sure, please. Sure. I, I mean, he's he, he's one of those guys that, and you know, we say, oh, you know, he does what the engineers ask, and that that it sounds easy, doesn't it? But it's not. So you can imagine you're doing 220 miles an hour on the back straight, and the rider and the engineer says, what I want you to do is break five meters earlier than you normally do and turn in five meters earlier than you normally do because something on the data has told him that that will make the aero work better so then he has to go out and do that so you try and put yourself in that situation you're doing 220 miles an hour i mean the fastest i've ever been on a motorbike is 190 miles an hour something like that and you know that's not it's doing 190 miles an hour on a motorcycle isn't very easy so i hate to think what doing 220 is like and then thinking about breaking five meters earlier when actually all you want to do is try and break later and then turn in five meters earlier i mean whoa. i mean to, to try and put that all together is just it's superhuman it's superhuman absolutely superhuman all right everyone i think we're there um so next week we have a very special guest uh we won't tell you who uh but uh, we've already recorded it i will tell you that we did it at sepang and it was great we had a fucking blast we really did and the fun it was a lot of yeah, fun it was a lot of fun uh so that's up next sunday and very interesting, yeah, and very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. so that will be next sunday and then it's the final qatar test the week after and then the week after that it's the first race so yeah it's it's starting to we can't wait we really can't wait and uh we hope you've enjoyed this pod and also i should add we're going to be up with our website very soon and with patrick patreon and all that kind of stuff so you can start throwing money at us and we're, we're going to buy that private jet we've been promising ourselves for the last couple of years and yeah so that that'll be in the next couple of weeks so um, we'll, we'll tell you when it's up and running thanks a lot for listening thanks peter thanks sam cheers then bye-bye